Everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program, folks, to give you the tools, the skills, you know, the handbook to this crazy thing we call life. Welcome to the program. It's another great day and another great topic. Uh, again, snowing here in Salt Lake City, actually, Provo, on the way here, I drove 30 miles an hour. Which safest drive I've ever had. Sure, cars are spinning off. People are dying. Carnage. But no, I made it safely and sound. But it did uh, mess up my emotions. Yeah. I walked here in the blizzard. In the blizzard. In the blizzard. That's what I'm calling did that, it. I don't think did it's that kind of your emotions? Blizzard. No, I just came feel slightly wet. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't actually tears. I mean, it was Maybe just you were that sweating. I had snow caked in my eyelashes. It actually was a problem. <laughs> I actually couldn't see... Yeah. Because the snow was coming down so hard toward me, it kept getting caught in my eyelashes. You could have died. I, you know what? I could have. We should all be grateful that I'm alive right now. They always, whenever they have like a BYU football game, the, the announcers are always like, from the most beautiful stadium in all of the NCAA. <laughs> not really. Freezing. It's freezing. Snowstorms. But really not and, freezing. You know, people say, well, there are these beautiful mountains. Well, you know what? With the snowstorm, yeah. you can't even see the mountains. Right. So, well, and your eyes caked with snow. And cake. my eyes are caked with snow. So it's um. So, but you came, and then you you arrived, and you seemed a little stressed. Yeah, I was a little bit because I ran up in the snow. So that'll do it. Yeah, you know, sunshine actually makes you happy, like literally. So yeah. I just vote we move the whole gig there, like somewhere sunny. It's interesting. Somewhere warm. Look at how the temperatures and the climates and. The elements make us happy. No, Just really. sun and makes us happy. Sunshine is actually scientifically linked with happiness. I was reading a study that came out, um, published in the Huffington Post, was from a few months ago, but... Uh, Lots of people know this, believe this, but it's just being more reaffirmed with lots of different studies that sunshine yeah. provides you with vitamin D. Oh, yeah. Which makes you feel good. Well, you could just take a vitamin. You could, but um, part of it is having the light come in through your eyes, yeah. through your skin. So that's taking that, vitamins, isn't it? You could rub Quite. a vitamin on your eyeball. Yeah. Maybe that's that not probably the same thing. Work. Yeah. <laughs> and not only that, but vitamin D is linked to all sorts of different problems like diabetes and mm. um, women's health and things like that. So See, I remember- this is my proposition that we just move somewhere sunny. That's my way to you know what? emotional health. I'm in. Okay. Uh, because I'm going on a cruise, so neener, neener. I'm leaving. You know what? <laughs> so you're absolutely right. Um, my doctor uh, prescribed uh, eight doses of the Royal Caribbean ah. line, and mm. I'm going to the Eastern Caribbean. I'll be in Jamaica, Cayman Islands. Not to, I don't want to brag, but I'm doing it for no. my mental health. I need, I need to get more vitamin D in my vitamin eyes. Vitamin D. You need more sunshine. That's why I'm speedoing up. Spend time outdoors to have an improved mood. Yeah, I don't even know yeah. if I'll be outdoors. So I, I'll probably I be that's sleeping like a lot. The only in way, my cabin. like I could just manage manage my emotional health that way. Just move somewhere. Well, do you know what I'm going to do for you? What? Are because you I will be gone all next week. You will, and you're probably going to be stressed because you're going to have all of these uh, vitamin D deficient guest hosts. Yes, I will. So I'm going to take pictures. 
Oh, that's so kind of you. Starting Sunday, uh, I'm going to start posting pictures on my Facebook page of me wrestling with some alligators in the ooh, Everglades. Okay, I might actually go to the travel to look at that. You'll want to see that one yeah. because that one um, I will be in a muscle tee. Mm. And yeah. I'll be taking down Maybe a not. gator. Your your vacation wardrobe's just fantastic. So far, oh, yeah. you've mentioned muscle tees and yeah. speedos. So well, yeah, far. well, I'm trying to get as much vitamin D okay. in my body as I can. I, I feel like that would not be good for your guests on the cruise. <laughs> they might not feel why? so happy after no, seeing why? that. I don't know about that. No, I think they would. <laughs> my wife says, yeah. I said, can I wear this muscle tee? And she's like, well, wouldn't you need a muscle? Well, we were just talking about how effective the snow is in blinding people, and we might just see that your Mm -hmm. white skin is going to be just as effective as as the snow. But maybe you don't know, because I'm covering my skin right now with clothing, but what if I have been doing a little, um, what's it called? I couldn't say like sun tanning, because there was no sun involved. Have you been fake bacon? Maybe not even. I haven't even been baking. Maybe I've just been painting my body a color. <laughs> that happens. What do they call that? You laugh, but it's true. Spray on tan. Spray on. Maybe I'm spraying on. I don't know. Yeah. I might surprise everybody. You know, I was thinking you were looking very orange today, so maybe that's it. Yeah, no, that's just carrots. I <laughs> eat a lot of carrots. That makes sense. It's bad for you. Um, so I'm just, I want you to know, I will take some pictures. I will take them when I'm in the Cayman Islands. When I'm swimming with dolphins, mm-hmm. maybe when I'm even dancing with a stingray. Ah, but that last one doesn't sound dangerous. Apparently, so, yeah. I'll take pictures of me um, relaxing good. on the Lido deck. Ah, you know, though, in all reality, it's good that you're taking care of your emotional health. I, agree. I think that's something that people kind of ignore because totally. physical health is so much more apparent. Well, it's obvious. Yeah, you I can know. either walk or you can't. Yeah. <laughs> Right? Yeah, and so and it has so much to do not only with just, you know, actually being physically healthy, but it also has to do with <laughs> looking good yeah. and how other people. Well, we do. We go have you. implants and surgery. We have all yeah, of these other things know. to. to Which I don't know augment. if that's exactly physical. Health, but wouldn't that be but... interesting? What if emotionally you looked? What if you looked what your emotional health looked like? So, so that sounds weird. But physically, you can tell if someone's kind of healthy, right? You, you can tell. Like if they run in and they, they have to pass out on the floor, you know. That would be bad. Maybe they wouldn't. But there. emotional health is something that's probably more of a personal struggle and yeah. can actually lead to physical health. So oh, yeah. it might be something you should target no, first. Totally. I mean, emotions, um, American Psychological Association came out with a study last year basically just saying it was a huge study and just confirming the fact that emotions are the top obstacle to a healthy weight. Really? That, to yeah. a healthy weight or to, life? What did you say? To healthy weights. Oh, to really? weight loss, to I believe that. Yeah. And it's understanding and managing your behaviors and your emotions yeah. is absolutely intrinsic to your personal health. And I think that goes beyond weight. It's just monitoring yourself in general yeah. and not feeling like you have to go somewhere to be happy. You can mm-hmm. create happiness. Well, no, you can, you can still go like on a cruise. Yeah, you could. Yes. I'm but sure that would make you feel better, but, but it might I'm, not last. But yeah, if I'm not emotionally healthy, the, I, I'll just be on the cruise depressed in my room. Yeah. Well, so, and here's the thing. I think that most people, maybe they're sitting there going, I have good emotional health, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm happy. Well, how would, yeah. You know, but I think, again, I don't think it's something that people are completely in tune with. And so- I have a list. Of what? Of signs of poor emotional health. Okay. Let's take a test. It's like a test. Like a test. Okay. Everybody out there in listener land, get ready. 
We're going to go down the list. And you just try to identify how you're doing emotionally because yeah. in a minute we're going to be bringing these, on the expert. These are pretty severe signs. So maybe if you have like kind of a minor version yeah. of this, maybe you just want to work between. on it a little bit, yeah. you know. Okay, let's go. Okay, number one is being hung up or obsessed with an ex. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be bad. That would be bad. Number two is being unable to listen to people or being unable to listen to other people because you're too busy trying to get your point across. So you're always you're, – you're never being, being influenced by others. Overbearing, yes. Okay, yeah. Um, people who give really quick advice because they think they already understand what you're saying. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I know yeah, how you feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah shut we're them good. down. Yeah. Um, people who don't want to be involved with other people to so, contribute to society and life. So kind of like so hiding away, you know, yeah, hiding away. Yeah. Um, not to be confused with shyness or yeah, you could be shy, but, but yeah, yeah. Um, being caught up in gossip mm. or a little petty. Circles, and we'll talk about that more later oh, today. Have a sec. You know, I have a bit later today on emotional vampires. And, oh yeah, the one that walks and in the room and you're like, oh. yeah. yeah, people who thrive on problem, and then um, people who are so wound to wound up at night that they can't sleep <laughs> and that they just go to their cell phone. And then maybe they like send you email at three in the morning. And maybe they do. Yeah, I know huh, people. That like sounds that. Uh, familiar. Um, Maybe people who surround themselves with other emotionally draining people. Yeah, like, like have this A little team. bit of codependency. Yeah, there. like the team here. Yeah. And just basically an inability to cope with daily challenges. Wow, you pegged me. Oh, dear. <laughs> that was crazy. I had a few of those. And as I yeah. look at all of you. <laughs> You're the doctor. I'm the doctor, so you have a few of them now, too. Ah. Um, so I guess that means we need help. It does, and we have a guest coming right next. The Help guest, us out with that. Dr. Guy Winch, is going to join us. He, uh, we're going to take a break, but he, we, he's been on the show before, and we loved him so much, we had to have him back. He's the author of the book Immer- "Emotional First Aid: Practical Strategies for Treating Failure, Rejection, Guilt, and Other Everyday Psychological Injuries." We're going to come back. Dr. Guy Winch will be joining us, and uh, we're going to take it on. Start learning the tools, the skills we need to actually uh, maybe improve, reverse even, some of our emotional struggles and strains and pressures. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're talking about emotional health. So just take this little picture in your head, okay? If, uh, you know, we all know what somebody that's got ripped abs, you know, kind of like myself, uh, somebody that's totally fit, physically strong, we know what they look like. But if somebody is emotionally healthy and emotionally strong, what should they look like, right? What what are they able to do that maybe the rest of us... um, would love to learn about and hear about. That's the topic of today's show. Uh, we have a wonderful guest that's joining us. Dr. Guy Winch is joining us. He's a licensed psychologist and a keynote speaker. He's the author of Emotional First Aid, Practical Strategies for Treating Failure, 
rejection, guilt, and other everyday psychological injuries. He's, his books have already been translated into seven different languages. He received his doctorate in clinical psychology from um, New York University, completed a postdoctoral fellowship in family and couples therapy at NYU Medical Center, and has been in practice there in Manhattan since 1992. He's a member of the American Psychological Association and is a, a, a popular blogger on Psychology Today uh, dot com. He has a popular blog called Squeaky Wheel, and you really ought to go check it out. Tons of awesome articles there. Um, he just he knows what he's talking about. You can find uh, more information about him at his website, Guy Winch, W-I-N-C-H dot com. Dr. Guy Winch, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show again. Good evening. Thank you very much for having me. You bet. So great to have you on the show. And, you know, here we sit, brand new year. A lot of people very quickly go make some new uh, New Year's resolutions physically. Like, I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to be strong. But we just read a study talking about the fact that one of the biggest impediments to any real change physically is maybe just our own emotional strength, our own emotional fortitude. Do you buy into that, Guy? Uh, I didn't. I'm not sure which study you're referring to, but let's just take it on the, on on that general statement. Yeah. Uh, no, and I'll I'll tell you why. Yeah. Um, because we actually have research also that shows that what happens around the time of New Year resolutions is actually very unfortunate because the resolutions which are supposed to make us feel better about ourselves and improve our lives usually fall flat so quickly <laughs> that we end up feeling worse about ourselves had we not yeah. started. Yeah. And the problem is not our emotional health and our fortitude and our willpower. Uh, the problem is how we approach resolutions. And the typical mistakes that we all make when it comes to our resolutions, and those are the ones that make us fail. Mm. Not our willpower, not our fortitude, not our emotional health, but just the, the, the mistakes that we make and how we go about it. Okay, let's, let's take, just for this first segment, let's get into that. What, what are some of those mistakes? Especially, it's funny that we already know what they are. I mean, most of us, even in our own heart, we know what we're going to run into because we've done this 20 years in a row. So what, are, what have you found? What are some of those mistakes we make that impede the, the actual, um, I guess, progress on our resolutions? Okay, so first, the first one, I would call it um, goal binging. <laughs> and by that, I mean, if your list of resolutions for the new year is longer than your kid's list for Santa, <laughs> it's a problem. Yeah. Because... Changing one thing is hard enough, but usually that's the problem with resolutions. We don't say New Year's resolution yeah. as an S at the end because we're supposed to come up with all these things we're planning to do. So that's problem number one. Problem number two, we don't define our goals well enough. Our goals are often very, very vague or they're unrealistic. I want to write a best-selling novel or I want to be happier or I want to do better at work. Meaning what? What does better at right. mean? What does happier mean? And how do you Not know right when to... you've reached it? Right. So there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing measurable there. Um, and the third really, really big mistake is that we don't plan uh, how we're going to reach the goal. In other words, we should have a plan. We, we want to get healthy. Terrific. What's the plan? What's the plan in terms of our diet? What's the plan in terms of our exercise? When are we going to do it? Is it realistic that we're doing it? In other words, if it's a diet, is it a realistic diet? A lot of people, and I'm, I'm in New York City, so a lot of people will come to me and, and show me these diets, which are great, except they require a ton of food preparation, yeah. and the people don't have time for that food right. preparation. Or, they, or another huge mistake people make is they never decide when they're going to start. 
they don't decide it's January 1st or January 2nd. They just decide they're going to get healthy and lose weight. Yeah. But they don't quite set the date, and three weeks later, they're like, I guess I failed. You didn't even start. You didn't yeah. fail. Well, and, and, and we think that, like, the diet idea, if I don't... I haven't controlled my my food and and how I cook and I don't like to cook anyway yet I go buy into a diet that is going to demand me to make other major changes. I mean, it we're setting ourselves up to fail, aren't we? Setting ourselves up. And the last thing I want to mention that people have to do with these kinds of things and they rarely rarely do is you have to anticipate after that thing about planning. If you've actually put some thought into okay, well what's a realistic diet? What's a realistic exercise routine? What's a realistic, you know, plan? Then you have to plan for setbacks. If you've dieted 20 times and you know you're good for the first couple of weeks and that third or fourth week goes bad, then what is your plan to address that? Yeah. This time. What is your plan to address it when your sitter doesn't show up and you can't get to the gym or when it's freezing outside and you don't want to go running in that kind of cold? Well, you have to anticipate what are the setbacks and hurdles going to be and how will I overcome them? And if you do all of those things, have clear goals, specific goals, realistic goals, you choose one or two, you plan it out, you figure out the setbacks, your chances of success are going to be so much bigger. Huge, yeah. If you don't do those things. I have a friend um, who has lost 104 pounds wow. last year, uh, and he. I said, really, what, what have you been doing? Did you just change your diet? And he said, I changed everything. Mm-hmm. But he changed his he, – he has a nutritionist, so he says, I'm spending a lot of money to get the skills, but he has a nutritionist. He, he did kind of take on a, a more popular type of diet or approach, but he has a nutritionist helping him. He got his wife's buy-in, who ends up buying and making most of the food. But he says the number one thing that he did do is he has he goes to counseling, mm-hmm. and he found a really good therapist, or, and it could be a coach or anybody that that is walking him through emotionally. He says with each one of these stages, I'd always get going, but then like like you were saying, three weeks in, I'd fall off the wagon and not be able to do it. But he says, I, I realized that a lot of my reasons for doing that is because I emotionally wasn't there. I emotionally didn't have what I needed and what it takes to make some things happen, or I didn't know how to get to that. And that's the book you've written, basically, is Emotional First Aid. So I'm assuming a lot of these, I mean, it may just be that we goal binge, but maybe the goal binging is because emotionally, do we even know what we really want to do? Okay, well, that's a great question, because I do think you hit the the point there. In other words, part of the reason we don't do the preparation adequately and we don't plan and we don't anticipate setbacks and stuff is because we're not taking it seriously emotionally. Mm -hmm. Emotionally, we are kind of thinking, you know, I'll try, but I probably won't succeed. So we don't really try very hard. But that's actually why I was saying it's not about willpower. Right. Because if you actually go to all that trouble of prepping and planning, your willpower is going to be fine. Right. Um, but failure affects us in that way. When we've tried diets and we've failed on them before, we, despite every motivation we might have, are going to be very big skeptics about our own ability to succeed. And unless we're aware of where that skepticism is going to manifest and how it's going to impact us, then we're going to go in without the real full effort. And then we are likely to succeed. And then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. 
And that's what failure does to us. One of my chapters in the book is about failure and how it impacts us psychologically. And that's one of the ways it does it. It makes us skeptics. And the skepticism makes us not bring forth our best effort. And then it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy. Ah, I failed again. I must not be capable. Yeah. When in fact we failed not because we're not capable, but because we went in too skeptical. It's, it's interesting. I think a lot of us just assume, well, of course my brain wants me to get healthy. Of course my psyche's on board with me. But the reality is, is we may be setting goals, uh, resolutions, plural, that are actually running contrary to our psyche, that are running contrary to our own, uh, our fears inside, right? Absolutely, because if we've tried and failed before, then we might really want to and really wish we could. But the messaging we've given ourselves by failing previously is we cannot. Mm. And so that's why we really have to have an understanding. I mean, part of why I wrote this book is because we all fail, you yeah. know, but we don't quite get how it impacts us. And if we understood psychologically and emotionally what happens to us because of failures, we would be able to work around those things and to, uh, and to not do that self-fulfilling prophecy uh, routine. But if we don't understand how the first failure impacted us, let alone the 15 that happened after, then we're not going to be able to succeed because we're, we're, we're not quite grasping emotionally and psychologically what's happening to us, what's, how our thoughts are being affected. So we can't put in the fixes to remedy those kinds of negative patterns that we probably adopt. Yeah. And then it seems like what we do is we just kind of quickly grab our hammer and start pounding. Let's pound out a new goal. But in reality, you still haven't removed the main obstacle, the fear or the, the fear of failure or the history of fears of failure. It's, it's, it's a few obstacles. I mean, it, it's, yes, it's a fear of failure for some people, um, but it's an unconscious uh, expectation that we're going to fail, uh-huh. and it's, it's self-handicapping. Self-handicapping is when we start making excuses ahead of time. Yeah, I'm going to try the diet, but it's going to be a really busy month, so we'll have to see how that goes. Huh. Well, no, 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 no. With that kind of attitude, it's just not going to happen. It's, it's doomed words, to fail. Yes, but we do that all the time, and we're not aware. And I give a lot of examples in that, in that chapter in the book about, you know, and these examples are people that I've worked with, they're regular people with regular lives, about how people self-handicap, the messaging they give themselves that really sets them up to do, and they're not aware that that's a problem because they're not aware of how they've been impacted. Yeah. And a lot of people also have the thing where they feel like, well, you know, I, I just I can't succeed at dieting. There's no such thing in my book as you can't succeed at dieting. You're a person, you can succeed if you get what's going on with you emotionally. And if you do it correctly, there's no one who can not succeed. Do we, I guess, it seems like if we're evaluating our thinking, you almost need someone else that doesn't think like you to evaluate your thinking. Can you truly self-evaluate your own thinking? Yes, because here's why, and this, is, and this is what was very useful, I think, for me and, and when I did the research for the book, is that we tend to, you know, we're, we're, we're complex, but we're not that complex. There are a certain number of mistakes that we make. There are a certain number of ways that we think in, faulty, uh, in, in a faulty manner that are going to hurt us. There are a certain number of approaches that don't work. Those are limited. So in, in the book, I set out... I'd say these are the things that people do wrong. And when people read that, 
one and two and four are going to ring a bell, and three might not. Right. But, but, and once they ring a bell, then, I, then in the second part of each chapter, I say, and here's what you do about one, and here's what you do about two, and here's what you do about three. In other words, there are a limited amount of problems, and therefore, you know, I try and give that menu. Choose from column A, choose from column B. Yeah. Now you know what it's, what's your stuff. Now here are the solutions to your stuff. Awesome. We're going to take a break. We're talking with Dr. Guy Winch, the author of the book Emotional First Aid, Practical Strategies for Treating Failure, Rejection, Guilt, and Other Everyday Psychological Injuries. Good stuff. Giving you some emotional tools uh, and, and you know ideas, insights, and in how to beef up your emotional self. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We will be right back right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Hey, today we're taking on the idea of emotional health and becoming as healthy as we possibly can emotionally, especially just as we're starting out this new year. It's easy, I think, to overlook some of the more basic emotional uh, aspects of our lives, even though in the end, they may be the things that are weighing us down and keeping us from succeeding, reaching a lot of our goals. We're on the phone right now with Dr. Guy Winch. He's a licensed psychologist and keynote speaker. He's the author of the book, Emotional First Aid, Practical Strategies for Treating Failure, Rejection, Guilt, and Other Everyday Psychological Injuries. That book, by the way, has been translated in uh, seven other languages already. Um, Dr. Winch has received his doctorate in clinical psychology from New York University and has completed a a postdoctoral fellowship there as well in family and couples therapy. He's been in practice since 1992. Dr. Winch, thank you for joining us again. Welcome back. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. One of your blogs that is so popular on Psychology Today, and your blog on Psychology Today is called The Squeaky Wheel, but... um, is, is called The Seven Habits of Highly Emotionally Healthy People. Okay, I'd love you to just teach us some of these. What, what are the signs? Because I think we all just assume almost that we're going to be emotionally healthy. And then if we've had a problem in our past, yeah, maybe we have something out of order. But what are some of the, what are some of the signs or the habits that emotionally healthy people have versus people that maybe aren't as emotionally healthy? Well, actually, you know, what you said is really interesting, right? You know, we all assume we're going to be emotionally healthy. And to me, that is a really interesting thing because, you know, we we might assume we're going to be physically healthy. Right. But when we sustain a physical injury, we don't just neglect it because we assume it'll get better. We do something about it. If we we have a cut or a scrape, we'll we'll apply the antibacterial ointment. We'll put a Band-Aid on it. If we have a cold, we won't just go about our lives as if we don't. We'll, We'll rest. We'll dress warmly. If we, if we have a sprain, we won't decide, in, you know, in our leg, we won't decide that's the best day to run a marathon. We'll, we'll be cautious about it. So when it comes to physical ailments, we are aware when we have a certain injury and we are aware that we have to nurture it and make it get better. Because if it doesn't, if we don't do that, then the injury can get worse. The cold can become yeah. pneumonia. The cut can become infected. 
But when it comes to emotional injuries, which we sustain just as often, right? Because right. Today, which we just spoke about, that's an emotional injury. And when we get rejected, there's an emotional injury. And guilt can cause an emotional injury. So when we, when we have those kinds of injuries, we actually do make the assumption that they'll just go away or get better and we don't need to do anything about them. Right. Now, I'm not suggesting we need to run to a therapist every time we, we get rejected uh, or every time we fail or every time something like that happens. But we do have to check ourselves. And in many cases, we do need to take some kind of action to make sure it doesn't get infected, quote, mm. unquote, and yeah. that it heals quickly and that we're not in too much emotional pain. And that awareness we're lacking. See, it's, is, it, it seems like because sometimes the pain dissipates. Like I had a, a client in the other day that just she broke up with her boyfriend and, you know, I mean, she was devastated and, a, and the wheels came off the bus, basically. And, um, you know, but four months later, she's she thinks she's over. it. She's good. But really, maybe what happened is it's just a different type of issue going on now. It's a di- she's, she's not thriving. She's not doing well. She still drives by his house. She still is well, calling. Right. If she's driving by his house, then she's not quite over it. Right. But, but this is the thing. In other words, and, and this is somebody, this is a client of yours. I'm, I'm suggesting that for most people, um, you know, when, when you get rejected, when you're dating somebody and, and, they, and they reject you, you know, even if it's on a first date, and for some people it happens even on, a, on an online dating website before they met the person. Right. You've been seeing them for a couple of weeks. Sometimes you can shrug that off, and if you can, that's great. And if, you know, it stings for a little bit, but the next day you can kind of get on with things, fine, great. But for a lot of people, they're dwelling about it, they're brooding about it for a few days. They're actually, you know what, I'm not going to go on that website for a while because they, they, they don't want to expose themselves to further rejection potentially. Mm-hmm. So if it's, if it's like that, that means there's a, bit, there's a bit of a wound there. And there are steps that you can take to make that wound heal more quickly hmm. and not get and, and, and not fester yeah. in general. But we're just, people don't know what they what can are those do. Steps, they don't right. have those tools. And so that was the idea you know, behind the book is to give people tools that they can use in day-to-day situations that they don't have to run to a therapist. That's and great. if they can shrug things off, great, shrug them off. But if you can't, if they're nagging at you, there's steps you can make to to steps you can take to make things heal more quickly, to be in less pain, to make sure they don't get worse because yeah. you're ignoring them. G- give us some of those, the tools, or even, I guess, some of the seven habits of highly emotionally healthy people, or from your book, what are some more tools that we can immediately do once we've been had an impact or a pain or a, an injury emotionally? What are some things we can immediately start doing? All right, so let's, let's look at rejection as an example, because A, that's extraordinarily common, you know, rejection. We all get rejected and, you know... Uh, pretty frequently in all kinds of scenarios. But yeah. let's say somebody's dating, and let's say, you know, they, they, they got dumped, or that the person that they're approaching is not responding. You know, uh, and again, so it, their self-esteem is going to be somewhat injured uh, by it. But the question is how much. If they then are able to say, well, it's fine, it didn't work out, great. But if they're then walking around for two days, and they're thinking about, well, what's wrong with me, and I, I wish I wasn't so short, and I wish I had longer hair, and I wish I had a prettier face, and I wish I had that six-pack of abs, or I wish I was richer, or I wish I was taller, whatever it was, if they're, if they're lamenting all their shortcomings, if they're going through everything they said, and, you know, oh, why did I say that? Why did I do that? And they're really getting hard on themselves. Some people walk around literally saying to themselves, you're a loser, you're mm-hmm. a loser. You know, if you're doing that, then clearly you need to, then there's a wound. And one of the things you need to do is to actually revive your self-esteem. 
So reviving your self-esteem after a rejection is one of the habits of people who are uh, emotionally healthy hmm. because they don't just let themselves languish in the, in the bad feeling. They actually take an active step to restore a sense of good self-esteem. And I'm going to give you new, and I'll give you an example yeah. of, of what that step could be. One of the things I recommend in the book, and it's, it's simple, it takes 10 minutes, but it's very effective, is if you get home from the date and, uh, and you got rejected, or if you got home and, you know, and or you got a phone call or whatever it is, you got, you know, rejected romantically by some, you know, by some person and it's hurting, sit down and make a list of all the qualities you have that make you a good dating prospect. Hmm. You might be emotionally available, you might be loyal, you might be supportive, you might be a good listener, you might be very good in social situations, you might be very good at getting along with people's friends. Make a list of, you know, you might have, you know, great, uh, great eyes, you might, whatever it is. Make, make a list of all the things, and there are many, you can come up with many, that make you a good dating prospect. And then choose one of those things, and that you really think is meaningful in relationships. For example, you're a great listener or you're very supportive, and that's obviously a meaningful thing in relationships. Choose, choose one of those things and write a brief essay, two paragraphs, you know, like five or ten minutes. Write about why it's an important quality, how, you, how you've manifested that in the past, how you might manifest that in the future, and why that would be important to another person. Yeah. And what that does is it reminds you what you bring to the table. It reminds you of what your real worth is. And it reminds you that, no, I have a lot to contribute. And that'll make you feel better about yourself. Yeah. And, it'll, and it'll help you feel better more quickly and it'll diminish the emotional pain you're feeling it's a way to revive your self-worth when you need to do that right versus sitting home brooding you know wondering and even a lot of times they're even making the list or any of us are making the list of all the things we do wrong and what's right, not great about us so whichever oh, oh. list you make is is the emotion you're going to feel Right. And, and that's actually just making the wound bigger. So instead of making that list, instead of hitting the alcohol or instead of going for the ice cream or instead of going for the comfort food or zoning out and ignoring yeah. how you're feeling, take an active step that will. And there are lots of studies that show that this specific technique will make people feel better immediately following a rejection. It'll make them brood about it less. It'll make them feel less emotional pain. It'll make them feel better about themselves. And if you need to do that exercise every day for a week, do it every day for a week. That's a great idea. But take steps. And I like, too, that you're, you're not even just saying make the list. You're actually saying choose one and take it even deeper. And then having to write on it is you have to own it a lot more, don't you? The writing is very important because that's how we absorb these kinds of psychological messages. People will sometimes say, I did it and it didn't work. And then when I ask them, it turns out they didn't really write. They thought about a few things, but that's not the same as actually making a list, choosing something, thinking about why it's meaningful, and articulating that in writing. Yeah. And no one's going to check your writing, so feel free to make grammatical errors and yeah. spelling mistakes and have terrible penmanship. No one cares. <laughs> but express it in writing. It's a deeper level of processing in your brain, and it'll have a much deeper impact in the way that you want of reviving your self-esteem. And especially because it seems like it's also interrupting what your more, your more natural pattern might be. Instead of letting the emotion of the rejection carry you into a spiral, you're disrupting the pattern by actually going and doing something different, a different thought pattern. Exactly. In other words, you're actually taking active steps to make yourself emotionally healthier. And that's the trick. That's huge. That's also giving you control. I mean, just the mere fact you have something to go do 
might give you some control over this situation. And a lot of times we feel like we're out of control on it. Exactly. And I think that control is a huge factor because, look, part of, again, part of why I wrote this book is when we get a physical injury, we have control. We know where the medicine cabinet yeah. is. We know where the band-aids are. We just go for it. But if we had an equivalent medicine cabinet for emotional injuries, which I propose this book is, uh-huh. and the fact that you know, okay, you know what, I feel bad, but there's something I can do. I'm going to go and do it and make myself feel better. You feel more in control. And then the next time it'll happen, it'll be less worrying because, okay, it hurts right now, but there are steps I can take. I know I'll take them. I'll make myself feel better. Beautiful. Uh, We're talking with Dr. Guy Winch, uh, the author of Emotional First Aid, Practical Strategies for Treating Failure, Rejection, Guilt, and Other Everyday Psychological Injuries. We're going to take a break, come back, and uh, wrap up our interview with uh, Dr. Guy Winch. Um, Be thinking out there, though, really, where are you struggling? Where do you need to start growing some emotional, um, I don't know, a six-pack, your emotional six-pack? That's what we're talking about here on the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back with Dr. Guy Winch right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, wrapping up the first hour of our topic today on emotional health, uh, joined right now by Guy Winch, who's a licensed psychologist psychologist and author of Emotional First Aid, Practical Strategies for Treating Failure, Rejection, Guilt, and Other Everyday Psychological Injuries. By the way, go check out his website, GuyWinch.com. Winch is W-I-N-C-H.com. GuyWinch.com. Uh, Guy, welcome back to the program. Really appreciate you helping us here. It's my pleasure. Now, give us some more tools. What are some more things? Um, maybe talk a little bit. Your book is called uh, Treating Failure, which, again, we're all going to suffer. Rejection, which we kind of just talked about, and guilt and other everyday psychological issues. How do we become people that are more okay with failure? It seems like not being okay with those negative feelings or the negative you know, psychological injuries like failure and rejection— we're setting ourselves up to just start hiding and not progressing and not risking. How do we deal with that? So actually, it's interesting you say about the hiding because, you know, the the way psychology works is, you know, you'll have this injury, and if you don't take care of it, then something else will develop, and it can cascade. You know, like yeah. in, in, in some people, they'll, they'll have a twinge in their arm, so they'll favor their arm, but then their shoulder gets overloaded, and then they'll actually <laughs> pull a muscle in their shoulder, which will put their back off, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, for example, with the hiding, you know, when people experience rejections and they don't take care of that wound, one of the risks that they uh, take is that they might become uh, lonely. And the way that happens is because you, you know, you withdraw, you don't want to expose yourself to other kinds of rejections, so you actually don't want to go out anymore on those dates, and you start feeling bad about yourself, and you're not taking care of your self-esteem, so you stay away from people. And then loneliness um, sets in, and loneliness is a subjective Right. In other words, it's a, you might be married, you might seem to have a lot of friends, but it, if, if you feel emotionally or socially disconnected, then you're lonely, regardless of what your external circumstance mm. is. And the problem with something like loneliness, and I, I, de- I devote a whole chapter to loneliness in the book, is that it affects us in ways of which we are entirely unaware. First of all, in terms of our health, it really is damaging 
to health. It puts us at risk for cardiovascular disease. It suppresses the functions of our immune system. It puts us at risk for depression, for Alzheimer's. Uh, scientists say in some studies that the risks chronic loneliness has are so severe they are equal to those that uh, people take on when they do cigarette smoking. Really? Smoke. Yeah. Wow. And because there are studies that show that people who are lonely with equal health factors live shorter lives. Hmm. It literally costs you years of your life. Now, the problem with why people get stuck in loneliness, because when you are in that avoidance of hurt and you withdraw, then you are not realizing it, but you've probably developed a bunch of negative unconscious behaviors that end up pushing away the very people that you need to emerge from loneliness. Yeah. And lonely people don't like to hear it because they're like, no, that's not true. I'm just undesirable or no one invites me. And they're not aware of how much they put out a certain kind of negativity or pessimism or skepticism that really is uninviting. You know, they'll, they'll, I, I'll speak to people all the time. I'll say, well, you know, you have this party, go to the party, but I won't know anyone. Right. Well, go up and speak to people. They won't want to talk to me. I'm like, you know, it's not high school. It's a party. <laughs> you go up and speak to someone, they have to be really rude yeah. to just turn away. It's more likely they'll chat with you for a bit. But then yeah. what ends up happening is they go, and they're so convinced somebody doesn't want to talk to them, they'll park themselves by the, the hummus and the cheese dip and, <laughs> and with a scowl on their face, and lo and behold, no one's coming up. It's the weirdest thing. <laughs> but they're not aware of it. Right. They're not aware that they're actually putting out a vibe or that they start testing their friends. Uh, let's see when they call me. Yeah. And then the friend is sitting there thinking, like, well, you haven't called me. Why am I being... Yeah. Tested, and it puts the friend off rather than just calling and say, hey, haven't seen you. Let's get together. Or every time I call you, you're so negative. I just, you just bring me down. I don't want to call you. Oh, see, you don't even care. Right. And off they go. So, so, we're, so in, in, in part of that chapter, what I talk about is I talk about these, these, these very unconscious ways. And there are set number of ways in which we do it, in which you know, when we're lonely, we, we tend to react in ways that are literally get us the opposite of what we need. Mm. And so we have to be aware of what we're doing. We have to have a leap, take a leap of faith. We have to address those wounds so that we can emerge from the loneliness because it's, it's a dangerous condition psychologically. And as I said, physically, it's dangerous as well. It's interesting because it seems like the, the behaviors end up taking us a different direction than where we say we want to go. But it really, they might be taking us exactly where we want to go, which is we don't want to be hurt by people anymore, so we keep them all away. It's, it's, we have this dueling nature going on, don't we, where we say one thing, but we seem to do exactly the opposite. Yes, and so we can probably be in touch with the fact that we don't want to be hurt, but we're not in touch with the fact that we are self-sabotaging yeah. the efforts that we do make. You know, there was one, I did this, uh, this radio show a while back that had a, a call-in, and they had a Facebook page, and somebody, and, they were, and, and the host was reading the comments from their Facebook page, uh -huh. and there were many, many comments. It was about loneliness, that section, and somebody wrote on, that, on their Facebook page, you know, that the, the doctor doesn't understand that people like me have no way to meet people who feel like I do. But they left that comment on the Facebook page of people's name, and, yeah. there, and there were a hundred other comments there of people they felt just like them. Yeah. So don't you see that you can actually just reach out to any one yeah. of the other people who just left read the, the page? <laughs> right, read the page. Right. But, it was, it, but that's how the blindness happens. It yeah. the, the, the lack of awareness of you are not seeing the opportunities you have, and you are misusing the ones that you do see because of how of that protectiveness. Now, I understand the protectiveness, because when you're feeling that bad, you don't want to be hurt again. Mm -hmm. but, you have to, but, but you have to take that leap of, of faith. You know, I don't know if you've ever had physical therapy, but yeah. it's very painful. 
Yeah. It's a very painful thing. They're working an injured site in your body. I've had a bunch of physical therapy, and when you're in a physical therapy room, what you hear are not squeals of joy, but <laughs> grunts of pain, you know? And, but we do it because we need to get better. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with loneliness. It, yes, it's painful, but you need to get better. And the, another one that you talk a lot about is guilt. Guilt seems, I mean, especially, you know, we're, we're from Brigham Young University, religious organization. I mean, religion and guilt, there's a lot of just guilt and overcoming our mistakes and our sins, as some would call it, but just our past. How, how does guilt affect us? Well, guilt affects us because, you know, it, it really makes it difficult to enjoy life. And, and the problem with guilt is that in small doses, it's actually good. It protects our relationship. It alerts us to when we might uh, be thinking of doing harm or might, might have done harm to some person. Mm-hmm. I don't mean physical harm necessarily, but, you know, uh, hurt them emotionally or upset them in some kind of way. It reminds us that it's Mother's Day and we really have to call our mother even though we're in a <laughs> meeting. So that snooze alarm will ring in our head every five minutes. Right. So in small dosages, it's great. It does us a very good service because the idea is we take care of it and the guilt goes away. Yeah. But when guilt is excessive, when it's not resolved, then that, it's like walking around with a snooze alarm in your head that's going off every five minutes. It interferes with our ability to concentrate. It interferes with our ability to focus, to get things done, to enjoy life. We literally choose things that are unenjoyable because we don't feel deserving of things that should make us happy. And the problem is that we sit with that instead of resolving the actual issue. Mm. And the actual issue usually with guilt is an interpersonal issue. And usually, even if we've offered an apology to the person, we've probably done it in the form of, well, okay, I'm sorry, Yeah, which is not a good apology. So in that chapter, one of the things I, talk, I speak about is how to offer apologies that get us what we want. And what we want is not to apologize. What we want is forgiveness. Right. Oh, so interesting. If, yeah. Yeah. So if we want authentic forgiveness, the point of the apology should not be us and why we did what we did and what our excuses are. The point of the apology should be the other person and how we impacted them. Hmm. The whole focus of the apology should be, I'm so sorry that this happened and you felt this way and this must have been this for you and you must have been feeling this and it must have affected you in that way to show that you're aware of how your actions impacted the other person. Then you can, after saying that, then you explain what happened on your end. Then you really ask for forgiveness and acknowledge that that shouldn't have happened and explain how you're going to take steps to make sure it doesn't happen again. And when you take the right steps in terms of an apology, the forgiveness you get is actually authentic as opposed to the other person going, okay, fine, but then there's still this tension between you and you know it. When they forgive you authentically, the tension goes away. And when the tension goes away, the guilt goes away and Mm -hmm. the relationship is repaired. So knowing how to repair relationships is a key aspect of of knowing how to deal with guilt. It seems like a lot of times they can forgive us a lot easier than we forgive ourselves. We just so even we might even have that authentic forgiveness and apology and that other person that we've harmed is done and good and moving on and doing well, except we can't let it go because we so disappointed ourselves. Right. And then the second part, so again, in that part of the chapter about guilt, I speak about how to get forgiveness for the other person. And in the second part of that, I talk about how to do self-forgiveness. Because sometimes the other person isn't around to be forgiving, and sometimes we have to be able to forgive ourselves. And sometimes there's things like survivor guilt or separation guilt, which we really didn't even do anything wrong. So resolving guilt is really important because it can impact our quality of life tremendously. And sometimes it can last for days and weeks and months and years even that we're walking around feeling bad about something that we really have to resolve. Again, an emotional wound which we're not treating, which we can and should. 
Good stuff. Um, as we wrap it up, we got to get you out, I'm sure, just back to your life. Um, help us with one thing, Guy. In about 30 seconds, if you could just tell us one thing that makes the biggest difference for our emotional well-being. Like, what's the one thing we could just start with, get going, that would that would kind of take us to the next step? Other than, of course, buying the book Emotional First Aid, Practical Strategies for Treating Failure, Rejection, Guilt, and Every Other Day Psychological Injuries. Okay, so here's one thing. I think of how we think about ourselves, our self-esteem, our self-concept, like an immune system. It's what protects us. It's, what's, it's, it's the shield that we take, the armor that we take to life. And unfortunately, when we sustain emotional wounds, what we then do is we do further damage to ourselves by having a negative self-voice, by treating ourselves badly, by feeling guilt and recrimination when we shouldn't, by blaming ourselves for things we shouldn't, by, by, by calling ourselves, you're a failure, you're a loser. Mm-hmm. So to me, be aware that that negative self-voice that so many of us use in so many situations, it's like damage, poking holes in the armor that you take to life. If you think of your self-esteem and how you feel about yourself as, as necessary armor, you wouldn't poke holes in it. Right. You try and restore it. So that negative self-voice serves no purpose whatsoever. And people try and always explain to me how it's useful, and I can always explain to them why it's right. Not. And so cut out the damage to yourself. Life is hard enough. You'll sustain emotional wounds as it is. Don't wound yourself worse yourself. You know, you're know, yeah. you not going to cut yourself and then go and make your, the cut bigger for some reason. We'll never do that physically. We do it emotionally all the time. So cut out the, the extra damage that we cause ourselves, and that'll put you a good step on the path to emotional and health. And pay attention to that, that self-voice, how you talk to yourself. Powerful. Absolutely. Dr. Guy Winch, so appreciate you. Um, again, thanks for joining us. Really, it's, I think it's, it's helped a lot, and we love having you on the show. Everybody else, go check out his website, guywinch.com, and, and look into that book, Emotional First Aid. Tons of tools. We're all going to be suffering you know, failure, rejection, guilt. What if we could uh, take on some of these new tools this year and um, take our emotional health to a different level? We're going to take a break, come back, continue the discussion about emotional growth, emotional health. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Townsend Show, a new hour of fun and excitement. Today we're taking on emotional health. How do you grow a six-pack emotionally? wonder what that would look like. Uh, <laughs> I'm too visual. That just I bet that's funny. what Guy looks like. Don't you think Guy, our last guest? <laughs> I think guest, he has a six-pack. That guy's ripped emotionally. <laughs> he's He's been working out. Um, today, though, right now, our own Jesse, we're still coming up with a nickname for you. We've been calling you Jesse Jackson, but it's really Jessica Little John. That's your new name once you're married in a week. Littlefield. Little, little <laughs> Field. Yeah. I like Little John. I like Littlefield. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess it's not up to me. I'm not. He, I feel like your daughter sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes you treat me like your daughter. I treat you like my daughter. So go clean your room. Okay. Now, little Jesse here is is studying media. 
you're in the broadcast world. Yeah, four you, years four been years studying of it. This. I feel like I know a little bit. When do you think you're going to get it and be done? Not a doctor's worth. Sorry. Don't get a doctor. <laughs> I, I don't know if you know this, but I've got a doctor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know that much about media. And then the rest of your life, you're just checking moles. Is that what happens? Mm-hmm. Is that what you do every day? Every day. Wake up, check mole check. moles. Does this mole look weird? Do you? Let's no go over the ABC. <laughs> no six pack there. Uh, so as you've studied media, because you're right, me, nothing can be more of a downer than just watching a news station. Right. Well, here's the thing. Is um, So being in the news, I'm around it a lot. And I when I talk to people, I tell them I'm in the news and they are all, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then they're like, I hate the news. I, I don't watch the news anymore because it's so bad and and negative and it ruins my life. And as someone who produces yeah. the news. So you feel bad. I don't like to hear that. Yeah. You, it's like they're taking you on. Yeah, a little bit. I, it's sad. unintentional, but I mean, I have a passion for news. And when they diss on it, I just want to... I rant love, on it, which is what I'm going to do for I, everyone. Right? I like good news. <laughs> yeah, I like when we hear, news. hey, 10,000 new jobs this week because of a company coming to a city. I like yeah. that. Yeah. I like the puppy dog in the well that we save. Yeah, but you can only handle so much because yeah. then you'd lose interest. Yeah. You'd be like, there was a there was someone once said, um, no, no one talks about the millions of people that traveled safely on the highway, yeah. but they talk about the one crash. Well, that's news. That is news. Is that by definition what makes news? That is. And um, we also try and make it interesting. Yeah. So if um, a dog bit the mailman, you know, okay. Well, but yeah. if the mailman bit the dog. Huge. That is news. By the know? way, that's a weird mailman. It is. And it's a weird analogy. That but is. It's, you remember it. I remembered it. That's actually true. <laughs> or see, so there's the other thing that people don't like about journalists because – you know, journalists used to be the fourth uh, branch of the government. Right, yeah. Even though they weren't of the government. But they were the fourth branch. They were here to protect the people. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't always seem like that's their role anymore. Because now, like, if you were going to protect somebody and their do- and their daughter was just hit by a car, you might not want to put a microphone in front of them and say, how, how do you feel I am so that? glad you brought that up. Because that, that happens. drives me crazy. During the Connecticut shooting, a yes. lot of journalists got backlash because they were like, leave these people alone. Yeah. But at the same time, they were looking for it. Yeah. People want to know. And these instances of these hor- horrific things that happen to people can help people. Oh, sure. And, well, and there's I think, a lot of stories that came out of there. Yeah. And there's a lot of bad journalists. Mm-hmm. I I know that that's true. I mean, you don't have to look very yeah. far to oh, find no. it. <laughs> but the potential for journalism is really good because you're you're helping people get their stories out. And if a girl did die in a crash, that family might want to, and a lot of the times they do want to talk about her and talk about her life and how, you know, we're kind of missing out on something great and she was a great asset to this world. So So it can be good. How do you not then, because you're now, you know, you're, you're, you're a journalist. Yeah. You are, you're now drinking (laughs) from the well of journalism. Just bucketfuls. How do you not get depressed, you know, sickened, disgusted, right. tired? Well, and that's the thing is is out. you find it, it is pretty depressing. And when you are the person that has to go and knock on that door, 
imagine, you know, like yeah. how awkward that is. Oh, no one wants crazy. to do that. Right. No one wants to do that. So you have to find things that you do like, like that, that you are doing good. Right. You're doing good and you're helping people get their story out. And people need to know you're not going to go get a story unless people need to know it. Yeah. Obviously, or, or else it, it wouldn't make it the news. It won't work and it won't make the news. Yeah. We're the gatekeepers. We yeah. decide what's on the news. We're not going to do a dumb story or else no one would watch. Right. So we have a motive to good good news and it can be negative sometimes but you have to you have to realize like it's so fast paced yeah you're only dealing with that for one day and then you're on to something else that's a hard thing isn't it because it's constantly a different story every day is a new day yeah and you can go back and you can do a follow up story on that girl yeah. maybe her family you know like we Anyways. like that that's see that's a positive thing yeah the, we always like the stories where they overcame life and they they beat cancer and they did all their yeah. stuff but also like it's good to be informed and and you need to know about politics and the government and you know how the yeah how the economy is doing you need to know those things and sometimes they're negative but you need to know so that if you're in the stocks you know you can it seems move like we have a less or... informed you know country now it, it used to be you only had a few sources of information so you had to pretty much go there yeah. you had to go to the three major channels you know abc cbs nbc to get your news now you don't now you can actually go to the people that make news that you like to hear yeah which can be good and bad yeah, we it learned seems like we're not balanced yeah which um we actually learned that you shouldn't do that yeah um especially as journalists but as as a people it's probably better if you don't um Stay in one corner. It's good to hear yeah. the opposing hear both side. sides. So I usually, even if it makes you mad, I do yeah. that. I listen yeah, to. I get so mad. I listen to the whole rainbow of you know channels, and you know, sure, I get a little road rage. Yeah. I but you know what? There's a lot of roads. And I think that like talking about emotional health and the news and listening to the things that you don't appreciate, you know, I think that's good for your psyche yeah. because you're gonna be. You're going to be learning how to deal with things that you don't like. That's right. And it's reality. Don't and you it's think, good to live in reality. Don't you think that's why Netflix was created? Yeah, probably. To counter the news. So when you're, so you go get your dose of the news. You know, it's kind of like you got to eat your vegetables. So yeah. you get the news. But you really want dessert. And that's on Netflix. Oh, let me tell you this. This was my favorite quote that I've ever heard in my schooling, and I will never forget it, and I hope no one else forgets it. Does it involve it a dog and a postman? No. No, that was my second favorite. Okay, because that's gross. This is my very most favorite. Is I don't even know who said it, and I feel bad. I that's can't right. credit well, it. You know. But they said, America is going to entertain themselves to death, and that is so true. It's <laughs> probably true, Because yeah. Because the news is turning more into entertainment, and they're trying to make it more lively and, mm -hmm. and keep people's attention because they want to go to Netflix. Well, see, then you're going to have like, to start no, making it up. Then they're going to start making it up. Well, and they're on such a time crunch, and and journalists are getting less and less money and less and less time, and and you know there's fewer journalists to cover more stories, and so it's going to be a little bit hurried. Yeah. Um. But that's because people need you know want the entertainment. Things. And there comes a point like I you know I like to read some blogs, some yeah, of the big blogs national blogs that have they always have a bunch of stories. One reason, sure, the news is all bad. In fact, if you look at the blog, like Huffington Post, Drudge Report, those are filled with a bunch of stories. What I like, most of them negative, by the way. Yeah. What I like is it makes it makes me know that I'm at least better than 85% of the people on this earth. <laughs> Positive outlook. So I'm impressed. I've never heard that before. If I can before. feel better than everyone else just by reading a blog, <laughs> yeah. then, you know, even if it's that not true, 
<laughs> See, here's done. the other thing is that like things like Twitter, um, I was as I was reading up on this kind of stuff, they found that like people are turning to Twitter and yeah. entertainment sites for there their news income because you know, I don't yeah, know. It's weird. it's quicker. But um with Twitter, if you go on there, everybody is just complaining. Sometimes it's happy things, but yeah. mostly it's like hashtag nobody cares. Hashtag someone's hashtag, being annoying on Facebook again. My, yeah. You know? And so so people look for that. Even though they don't want to admit it, you yeah. are kind of looking for the drama. You are. Which people is like why people drama. watch soap operas. I uh, yeah. And The Bachelor. That's why watch we watch The Bachelor. I like The Bachelor. <laughs> I really don't. So I don't. There's too much kissing on The Bachelor. See, that's just gives that's just gives me bad emotions. Yeah, I'm not, not like, but too much kissing with one guy and 26 women. Or yeah, there's a lot. It's I always find it interesting how they're always like now they kiss when they meet. What? Do like, they really? I don't know. That happened once. Yeah, I haven't watched. And that. I was like, okay, lady. You're not going to be very classy. So back to the news. Okay. I have some other points. What? Um, they also end on a good note. I just want to say that. Why, you know why? Why? Because they just, you know, poured you with a bunch of bad things and they're like, hey, but yeah. look at this cute panda. Yeah. The research shows if you leave <laughs> so. on a good note, you won't remember most. You, you remember what you left on. Yeah. So, so, so they do happy. end up on a good Plus, note. Plus that teases everyone because everyone wants yeah. to hear if the puppy dog survived. Yeah. Did the did the, when the firefighter had to blow in the puppy dog's nose snout, what do you call it? Uh, did, did, did the dog survive? And I want to know. Yeah. But they always say that at the very beginning. And coming up, we're going to talk about how a firefighter saved the life of a puppy dog by blowing in its snout. Yeah. Then, forty four people died in the fire. Then we talk yes. about the fire. Blah blah blah. Hey, coming up later, we're going to find Happy. out about that cute little puppy dog. Yeah. So they leave on a good note. Yes. You have to, but you. I think you do need to be informed. You yeah. do need to know. We don't need to know if the dog survived. Me and but Dallin it feels actually good. had an argument about this yesterday. Did you? You and who? Dallin, my fiance. Okay. Oh, Dallin. Mr. Littlefield. Mr. Little John. <laughs> Mr. Little John. Um, yeah, we talked about it, and he was like, "Why do you need to know it? Why do you need to know the bad news?" And to be honest, I was like, "Well, because you need to know it." Did you? Did you bring up maybe we shouldn't be married? <laughs> did you throw that out? Maybe there? I shouldn't have a job. Maybe I should just have your kids. <laughs> Whoa, here we go. No, I'm just kidding. It didn't get that okay, it yeah. didn't get that intense. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. I want to kind of hear what you think. Do you need to know? Do you need to know about the shooting? What does that I think do you need you? to know generally. Generally. But not in depth? What do you mean? Like I don't think we need to spend do you remember nine eleven? I do. People spent how many hours? Like literally twelve hours a day or more. Yeah. Just watching the stories. True. You can life. get addicted to news. And and it became people were depressed, people were hurting themselves because mm-hmm. of how depressing it is. So, you know, there's a point. And that I guess the problem is kind of it's everything we've talked about today. When it starts to become excessive yeah. and you're not progressing and you mm-hmm. can't move on, you're probably I think some people live vicariously through the news too. You know I, mean? I live just, vicariously through my soap operas. So do you really? <laughs> just kidding. I don't. I live vicariously I through life. Deer Hunter 2014. <laughs> oh, I'm almost. 100. That was beautiful. That was very good. <laughs> um, so I, I think we should. I, I like the idea that people are informed, and that should maybe take 15 minutes a day. Right. So I have another Ish. interesting thing. Yeah. Um, this is really sad. Don't cry. Yeah, it's hard for us, me and Merritt. Um, women are more remembering and get more stressed after they watch the news than Do men. they really? Yeah, I guess it's because we worry or we have that emotional yeah, what attachment. what is that about? That's, 
That's, Isn't that sad? That was a study. Do more women watch the news? No, no. They just had the same amount of women and the same amount of men, and they the women just in, they internalize they it more. Their yeah. stress. I believe levels. that. Well, more women have depression. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. More women. Maybe that's why. Yeah. So part they, of it they is watch the maybe news. they're just more. They just feel so much more profoundly the so, emotional. So I think that women take that on themselves, hmm. and which you know in in the news yeah. you watch real life stories. They're not fake. You're watching real people's lives and i think that they're more likely to cry in the news you know if it's a good story they would cry first my family my sisters used to cry during the commercials (laughs) when you see a good hallmark commercial you're gonna yeah or those little dog ones where they want you to adopt in fact that's another i'm just kidding i don't i hate those commercials um i just like uh i i really that's why i like sports there's emotion there but no one's talking about it you do you cry from sports rudy did you cry in rudy um, Radio? I don't remember. Coach Carter? I probably did. But we, you know, another thing kind of about me and guys, uh, we don't want to talk about that. Let's oh. not talk about if we cried or not. Let's just recognize Especially that Rudy's a great movie. <laughs> Rudy's a wonderful flick. And um, we don't we don't cry. But if I go watch a game, like the the championship game, the, the, the what bowl was it? The Rose Bowl this year. It was incredible. And tons of emotion. Not a soap opera. No one kissed till the end, and they got a trophy. Then they started kissing. Is it that they? I mean, peace. I no, have a little no news. Do guys really like get emotionally attached though to, to sports? What? Oh sure, they do. To like, the teams, they do. Oh yeah, to the point of tears. Oh yeah. Huh. Yeah. Okay. It's, there's tons of emotion in these games. Like you work so hard to get to that point, and but do you living vicariously the, oh, yeah. the athletes? <laughs> no, see, no, but the people. I work hard to support my team. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> what things do you do? I read the blogs. I mm-hmm. listen to Sports Nation. Okay, so you're I get incoming. pumped up, and then when the team filled. blows it, someone needs to be fired. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but that's what we, that's why we're always like, fire the dude. So people get mad. Yeah. Just listen to sports radio. Because sports radio is all about crazy fanatics. And we like to be involved. Yeah. And so do women. Yeah, everybody does. I think, and women can be just as involved in sports as well. And I, I don't know, the, I don't know, maybe men can be involved in, you know, The Bachelor. <laughs> Debatable. Doubt it. The lucky ones. Totally doubt it. There's two of them. I heard there's two back in the Midwest. Um, we're going to take a break. We're coming back with <laughs> Mark Waite's going to be joining us. We're talking emotional health with Mark Waite. Uh, this ought to be fun. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, kids, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking emotional uh, first aid and emotional health. Merritt's been doing some research. You know, everybody has this one person that is the emotional, what do we call them, vampire? The emotional vampire. The, the one that just sucks. Posture, the yeah. Debbie Downer. It's somebody who enters your life and takes every bit of emotional energy from you. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's why they're called a vampire. They that, suck your life force. Wow. Am I being too dramatic? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll stop. Man, that was now I feel, Sometimes I feel that way, though. Yeah. So, oh, no. um, how about how about when you look over and they're right there and you're like, no, like, no, yeah, no, no. <laughs> I've had roommates before who I have literally like pretend to be asleep, like yeah. when they come home, like you. 
hurry and yeah. close your eyes, get in bed because you know that if you talk to them, you're going to be up for another hour. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Now, what if somebody out there is thinking, I don't have anyone like that in my life? Then you're it. Then you are the vampire. <laughs> then you are the vampire. <laughs> okay, so, so what do we need to know? So there are different types of people who but, can be emotional yeah, vampires. There's wolf, you know? there's wolf man. <laughs> there's, yeah. Yeah. So we, we mentioned one. Um, we mentioned some, you know. The potster, the Debbie Downer, yeah. but I have different one, different terms, I guess, that I like. So, okay. so one is the narcissist, yes, person who can't really see outside of themselves, mm-hmm. and so doesn't acknowledge when you have needs. Yeah, um, they're super attention hogging. Think maybe they think that they're listening to you, but yeah. completely dominate conversation. Right. It's you always know. about them. It's about them, and yeah. sadly, yes, that probably is unintentional, but. It happens. And the, you have the, to be the, able. The narcissist. That's. Yeah, the narcissist. Self. And which I am trying to plan a show on this. Apparently, it's an epidemic in our nation. It is an epidemic. It's so, so big, in fact. We're going to be we don't, covering we that. Used to, we used soon. to actually diagnose people with a disorder called narcissism. And now we're wondering if it's just. Now we don't do it because yeah. everyone's got it. <laughs> yeah. So the thing about emotional vampires is that you have to be able to defend yourself. Right. You have to set up some boundaries. Garlic. So that you don't die. You don't You just need a steak and some garlic. Yeah. It's part of keeping yourself emotionally healthy is setting up the boundaries so that other people don't steal. Oh, it's so true. Yeah. So here's – I was reading an article on Psych Central, Mm -hmm. and it was talking about the different types of emotional vampires, and they had some self-defense tips. Mm. Um, For the narcissist, it is enjoy the good qualities, but make sure your expectations are low. For how they're going to treat yeah. you. Don't think they're and going to Im- get into you. Limit your time. Okay, If yeah. you're feeling like it's getting too much, you can always oh, yeah. leave. I mean, you can... Oh, I've got that thing I, about you know, that thing. Got to go iron my bed. Oh, my and... bed is so wrinkly. <laughs> so, yeah. Got to run. Yeah, have you seen how wrinkly shave my, my bed? cat? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So, another type of emotional vampire is the victim. The person oh. who thinks... Everything in the world is conspiring against them. And admittedly, I think that's one that we probably all participate in at some point in our lives. Yeah. But, but there's some but people who do it taking it to others, though. I mean, it's one thing yes. to be a victim like in private. <laughs> Gosh, It's yeah. another thing to but, be a victim with your yeah. friend every time. Yeah. Um, you can't handle that. And the thing is, to defend yourself, you can't be their therapist. No. And you can't – don't buy in to what they're saying all the time. Yeah. You know, and you don't have to argue with them or anything. It's just, again, setting those boundaries. If you're feeling like yeah. it's going too far, you can always exit. You know what you can do? You just say, wah, wah, shut up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that would work. Well, exactly. they may not come back. But you could say. You've lost a vampire. That's true. But if you like them. Yeah, if they're you know, your mother, your wife, your sister, your, sister, yeah. your friend. Yeah. Your brother. Brother. I was going to throw in. We've listed, yeah, we listed everyone. Yeah. Okay. Um, another type of. Emotional vampire is the controller, somebody yes. who has to know everything about you. Yeah. And this is, I've had roommates. Why like did this you do that? Like, so what's your schedule today? I'm like, uh, going to class and work. When will you be home? Yeah. I'm like, I, I don't know. What <laughs> you are you know? eating tonight for dinner? Yeah, exactly. And they have to know. They have yeah. to know your schedule. They think that they know more about your yeah. emotional life, about your friends. They want to yeah. control you, to kind of and live through you. What about those people when they start like? Giving you advice. Like, I know you better than anybody. Yeah, and what and you, you know need what? is. What you need to do at that point is be confident. Yeah. You can defend yourself. Yeah. You can step up and Courage. say, you know, that's not how I feel. Right. Or that is not what I want to do. Or I really need some alone time right now. Yeah. And you can just step up and say that. And at that point, yeah, they might be offended. But 
it's more through their fault than right. your own. And right. they can choose. I mean, you can still be kind of courteous, and they can choose whether or not they're going to come around. Right. That's a good one. Um, another type of vampire is somebody who is a criticizer. Ugh. Who, I don't need your critique right yeah. now. You know what you, you could have always, done better on you know, that show? Uh, what? Maybe, yeah, just a little bit of a bully. Yeah. And, um, again, probably unintentional, probably comes through some sort of unresolved emotional need mm-hmm. of their own. Hey, I got a way to deal with them. You just throw it back. Oh, you say, yeah. well, you know what you could do? You could just, and then you just be rude. <laughs> and then they go off. Yeah. No. Um, Man, I'm petty. I'm yeah. rude. But, again, you can always maybe try to be really kind to them. Maybe just express, love them with yeah. kindness. Like, thank you for um, Is that what it's called? being killing with kindness. Killing. I'm going to kill them with kindness. <laughs> yeah. So they toss out something that is criticizing, maybe hurtful. And you can say, well, thank you for thinking of me and for taking the time to help me out. And then I'll take that into consideration. Oh, I like that. And then what you do, you always just wait about a second and then you say not. <laughs> and the exclamation oh, okay. point. This That's is just advice coming from a doctor. Yeah, Keep I'm a that doctor. In mind. PhD. Yeah. Uh, another type of emotional vampire is the splitter, the person who will take advantage of you when it's convenient for Ooh, them. Convenient. So the friend who will hang around and be a great friend and confide in you. When they you. have and no friends that night. The next day when they have other cooler friends to be around, they're out of oh. here. They have split. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of best just to not get involved. Again, lower your expectations. Yeah. And I think that's emotional vampires in general. Potsters, people who thrive on drama, who thrive on problems, set boundaries. Know that you are in control of the situation. Yeah, you're you an can agent. exit at yeah. any point. And then just kind of lower your expectations and appreciate the good qualities in those people for what you can. But don't be afraid to admit that you might have some problems that are Good advice. And if anyone's out there listening thinking, man, I don't have any of those kinds of friends once again, then you are that kind of friend. If you're a vampire, knock it off. In fact, really, we all ought to assess that. Is anybody out there right now thinking of me when we're talking about this? Because <laughs> if they are, I really want to talk to them for about four hours yeah. and slowly drain and if you would like to criticize their lifestyle. Yeah. And, yeah. and then split. And then complain. Gone. Yeah. Go hang out with your cooler friends. That's right. <laughs> cooler friends. Good work, Merritt. Uh, great research, of course, as always. Uh, we're going to take a break. Come back. With the emotional health guru. Um, He may not always seem it on the outside. Mark Waite's going to be joining us. Nothing says cool, calm, and collected more than Mark Waite. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Townsend Show. Hey, we're talking emotional health today. And uh, earlier in the show, we had a wonderful guest, Dr. Guy Winch, who's the author of the book, Emotional First Aid. Help us, you know, with some tools, some ideas to uh, make it through some of our more emotionally difficult times. We thought we'd bring on fellow um, uh, radio host here at BYU Broadcasting. He's the host of Through the Garage Door, our, our loved Mark Waite. Nobody, nobody, He's, let's just call him the paramedic, the emotional paramedic, <laughs> first responder. Woo, woo, woo. Mark Waite's joining us. How are you, Mark? I'm emotionally fragile right now. What did you, what did you learn in, in the previous We hour? learned that there's a lot of covering up emotionally 
we don't necessarily facades. yeah we put on a lot of facades and we and we really we don't like to feel guilt we don't like to feel fear we don't like to fail we don't want to be hurt. We don't want to be alone. And so we tend to conjure up stories. It's that funny. You us. just named all my favorite things. Was that it? Was that, hey, <laughs> that you was just, my list. You just listed These my, are a few of my sounds favorite like my Christmas holidays. <laughs> Failure. That's so Abandonment. Sad. Is this what you guys do on Through the Garage Door? Is just sing songs? <laughs> no, but we should. That's pretty neat. So, so, uh, so, so healing and repairing, yeah. I, it's, uh, it's tough because – when we are feeling depressed, I mean, I guess most of these things can lead to depression. That's kind of the that end of the yeah, road, right. cul-de-sac, right? The funk. Yep. Emotional cul-de-sac. The irony, the sad irony is that when we're there, the last thing we want is for people to tell us what the fix is. Oh, yeah. What you need to do, Mark, is... Get over it. Uh, Pull yourself up by on, your bootstraps. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's tragic because yeah. that's when we're going just... Leave me alone. Yeah. I don't want to interact. And yet that's when we most need that that's interaction right. that's and that hug. Right? Yeah. So maybe words are cheap in, in that instance. Um, that's where maybe action kicks hugs, in. Yeah. You know, and just proximity. Her presence. I'm here. Yeah. You know, you may not want to talk now, mm-hmm. but when you do want to talk, make me the one. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be your be punching here. bag. Yeah. Right? And even if, I, yeah, you could just say, I know you don't want to talk. I can see you don't. Yeah. And I'm here. Right. And then if you go back if, an hour later and they seem happier. Maybe you recognize it. You seem a little happier. So maybe the help is you has to be self help. Maybe it has to be self motivated. Um, and it, I, I hate it when people say, "Well, it's all about, uh, you know, it's you need an attitude adjustment." Yes, it's it, you're it, just not seeing this the right way. That's right. When they start critiquing your attitude, but if you can get yourself to the point where you can start changing the attitude, I think perspective, yeah, is what's key. Um, and if I can go a little bit philosophical, a little bit go, spiritual, a little bit religious, you got to have an eternal perspective. Yeah, if you have a big long-term perspective, you have more cushion. If I think that this is life is everything and that this is it. Yeah, and, and this I, job that I just lost. Super unfair. Right. Life is incredibly unfair if this is all there is. Oh, yeah. Um, but if we can see ourselves as eternal beings who have always lived and will always continue to live without a beginning or an end and realize that this life mm. is a special thing. It's a weird thing. Yeah. It's a little, it's a brief moment where it, it is a test. It's supposed to yeah. be a test. Yeah. Then I can go, okay, oh, this is supposed to be a test. This is supposed to be hard. I okay, love that. I can attack this from a different point of view now yeah. because I don't like to taking right. tests. Nobody yeah. likes taking them, but we like passing them. Yeah. Passing tests feels pretty good. Yeah, when good. we're acing a test, nothing better. But so when you if, are ill-prepared. So, I mean, you know, taking uh, an extremely minor thing, which is always my pet peeve, uh, some dangerous, incompetent driver on the road, if I'm thinking, this is unfair, how dare yeah. you pull in front of me, then yeah. I'm all upset. But if I can go, you know what, this is supposed to be a test. That person doesn't yeah. know it, but He's they're testing, testing me. me. And so I'm going to just take a, you know, that's take a, a big, great... deep breath, relax. Yeah. I'm suppo- this is supposed to be difficult. I guess that's the context, huh? And then I'm going to prove to them, oh, I can pass this test. Oh, I'll, I'm, I'll, I'm, I'll show you I can pass You can't this even test. get to me. I'm, I'm going to be so patient yeah. with you stupid drivers. Yeah. <laughs> it's that's gonna... interesting. So that's, that's it right there, really, because that resets you to a higher, you're saying, like eternal, long-term 
big picture. Well, it's floating above it and looking at yourself objectively yeah. and going, now, come on. You're too close to this. You're, you're right. too close to the forest to see the trees. Yeah. Um, but, you know, back up a little bit and take a look at the forest. Big picture. Uh, eternity that direction. Eternity that direction. Right now, right. not that important. Yeah. Okay. Well, and maybe in the moment you can't always reset. But I guess emotional problems aren't a problem unless you carry them for a longer amount of time. If you're carrying it for months, years, then it starts to see it starts oh, yeah. to get more problematic. Oh, yeah. But like you're so if I, even in the moment, if I can't go to the big picture, I could in an hour. I yeah. could in a week. Well, I mean, see, that's my thing is my wife um, doesn't get as mad as often as I do. But mm. when she does get mad, it lasts longer. <laughs> I get mad really often. She's like a marathon matter. <laughs> yeah. I'm a sprinter. <laughs> I'm an anger sprinter, okay? <laughs> I get mad really often, yeah. but only for 30 seconds yeah. at a time. Then it's over. Yeah. It's done. You have no you know? stamina yeah, in your mad <laughs> attitude. I'm a... I'm a lily-livered, <laughs> weak-kneed, angry That's person. That's actually great, though. Really, because you're highly predictable. Well, it's good and bad. Well, you're going to be exhausted. Yeah, I mean, if it's it, every It wears second. on my wife. It's like, come on, mellow out. Relax. Dude, you know? She waits Stop getting seconds. mad at the there other drivers. <laughs> Have a cookie. It's, it's, it's rude of me to get mad at other drivers when she's in the car, <laughs> and, and I can see that. Like what would make her go off, though, compared to you? So does it – things, bigger things probably have to make her – they have to hit her to Not go Not necessarily, off. but they accumulate. Okay. She saves them. Yeah. Up, you know. Then she's got a really good I don't know if that's a particularly feminine trait or not, I don't or know. if that's generalizing. But anyway, to, you know, to looking at if, if, it, if I've been sad or depressed for is it a day, is it a week, is it a month, uh, some people suffer deeper depression than others. And mm. that's a deep, deep, heavy cross to bear. My yeah. dad had a lot of depression Did problems. He? Yeah. And I hope that I never go there. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think if we can, as the person, have that perspective. Now, here's another uh, key, I think, for me in, my, in the Mark Waite philosophy, and that is uh, a principle that I've heard elsewhere that it's an eternal principle that in order to feel joy, you have to feel pain. It's impossible. Yeah. You know, if there's a center line, hmm. it's impossible to only go toward yeah. the joy yeah. side without the pendulum swinging back right. to the sadness side. Well, you wouldn't side. know it's joy. It's just life. It's without, physics. Without the junk. Yeah. I mean, you've never seen a, a grandfather clock pendulum just go, right, <laughs> It's a left right, swing. <laughs> right. It has to swing back yeah. and forth. It's a circuit. Right. It's like an electrical cir- yeah. circuit. To complete the circuit, it's, it's a round. It's a circle. And so if we small – if we – draw a really tiny circle, let's say there's a center line between that circle, if if all of the pain in the world is 100%, there's a maximum yeah. to how much pain can be suffered. A person like me who's led a mediocre life, let's say I've... <laughs> let's just say the average chump. Like you. <laughs> let's say I've suffered 10% of that 100%. Yeah. That's all I know. Yeah. I think I'm pretty convinced that I have only then qualified like to that. feel 10% of joy. Yeah. Now, that makes me an average mediocre chump, as you say. And right. Truer words were never spoken. <laughs> <laughs> Your wife called that in. The thing is, if you look at history, the greatest people are the people who have suffered the most. Oh, yeah. And they've experienced the highest highs and the lowest lows. Right. They've completed that circuit. So if I am sad, depressed, lonely, and if I'm in a difficult time of my life, if I can convince myself to, to be objective and realize, you know what? Man, if I'm up to 50% pain, there is good news in that scenario. Oh, yeah. I've just qualified myself. I've made myself capable right. I've of seen, 50% I joy. 
If you can feel the negative pain of down 50 percent, you have the capacity to now feel the, the pendulum the, will yeah. swing an equal distance the other that. direction eventually. It's well, not happening that, now. Well, but tell me that's not hopeful. Yeah, and it may you know not, the pendulum's not in yeah, both directions right. at the same time. It it's may always swing it's one, one side right. or the other. That's right. Um, so I, I think if we can realize, look, great people are the ones who've suffered deeply mm-hmm. and have come out of it smelling like a rose. Well, Nelson Mandela. Yeah. And right. I mean, so all these iconic figures we hang up and hold up there, Christ, right, suffered. Um, all of them. Nelson Mandela, Gandhi had to suffer the pains of his people. I mean, it's. I guess that's the key. You have to suffer. And, and realizing that okay, this this it feels bad now. I don't want it. Right. But there is good news. There is a silver lining. Yeah. You know, we all hate hearing about the silver. Well, every cloud has a silver lining. Oh, shut up. Yeah. But if you can tell yourself that, if you don't have somebody else preaching that to Mm -hmm. you, but you can tell yourself, you know what? This is going to end. Yeah. All pain comes to an end eventually. Yeah. And there is something good happening on the other side. It's almost like you have to pay. That's how you're paying. You pay for the peace with the pain. And it's it's like I think we just think we should just start with I should just automatically be able to earn a hundred percent of joy. Well, that's all we want. Yeah. We just want we, don't we want, want the good yeah. stuff. Just give me the steak. You'd be crazy. I don't need all of it. There was something wrong with you if you wanted the pain. Yeah, Nobody no. wants yeah. it. That's why it's pain. That's right. You know. That's right. <laughs> um, that's yeah, right. but and, and emotional pain is the worst because physical pain, we know how to fix that usually. Uh-huh. Emotional pain is is scarier. It's 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 more nebulous. Yeah. You know. But isn't that parenting? But it's all about self image. But know? that's parenting, because you, none of us think we're, we want the we want the cute moment. We want the good moments. We want that. We don't <laughs> think. I had a couple that came in today to talk about their child. Holy cow! What this naive little boy, seventeen year old kid, stepped into in life, not even knowing it, and got t boned. By something just big and horrendous, and literally just—I mean, it was an all—is just a relationship problem. But he stepped into one of the biggest problems you can run into, and how it devastated these parents. So all now I'm sitting here thinking, boy, they're going deep into the pendulum swing of the negative pain. And the people you're closest to, the people you love, are are that because you know people I barely know. They're only capable of causing me ten percent pain or ten percent mm. joy. But the, the, your your spouse, yeah. your children, your parents—they're the ones that bring you the greatest joy yeah. and the greatest suffering. suffering. No stranger can hurt totally. me like my loved ones can hurt <laughs> That's me. That's exactly you know? right. There is suffering involved there, the, and that suffering is part of the process of learning to love them, which is why you love them. Right. We've because, suffered yeah, together. We've yeah. been places together. I we have wipe history your together. Bum. Yeah. <laughs> You've gone through the late night sickness with that person. Yeah. That's pretty neat. Sacrifice. That's the mm-hmm. nature of sacrifice. And so I guess that's another one of the major tips we hear is, oh, well, the the answer to to depression is to serve people. Well, being presented that way, it just sounds like, oh, leave me alone. Blah, blah, blah. Leave me alone. But the truth behind that yeah. is that if we can stop obsessing over our own personal problems yeah. and force ourselves to get outside ourselves and start – trying to do something, build something, fix something, make something, mm-hmm. make the world a better place, yeah. make somebody else happy, make somebody else smile, then it somehow pushes out 
magically. Yeah. You know, that's yeah, the yeah. magic formula right. of pushing out those demons that are just don't leave us alone. That's one of our vampires was the narcissist that always makes it about themselves. So one of the reasons it's they keep self-fulfilling is because they're always into themselves. Getting out of themselves by serving might push it out. Look at you. Well, you I mean, it. It, yeah, it's not good for man to be alone. We need interaction. We need yeah. to realize i mean all the greatest sins are people who uh, objectify others and yeah. assume that well other people aren't as real as i am they don't yeah. feel they don't, as well, and they don't get it i just watched a documentary blackfish last night it's about sea world and how they abuse the the great killer oh, whales yeah, the I've orcas heard, yeah. uh, it's really interesting it's a great movie um but if if i think that that orca is just an object it doesn't think yeah. it doesn't feel it doesn't care yeah. that it's in a bathtub for its entire life, then it's okay that we're, that we're treating it like an object. Right. But if I realize, you know what, that thing is actually feeling the frustration and pain that I would feel being stuck in a bathtub my entire life, then you go, oh, there's a problem yeah. here. See, that's Same empathy. with people. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's killer whales. Right. But if we can realize people are feeling the same frustrations I do, um, the same pains I do, and I'm not – we're tempted to think I'm the only one suffering. Right. I'm the only one feeling yeah, this yeah, right no now. One, yeah. I'm the only one who's ever felt this way before. But if we can realize, no, 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 everybody else is feeling it too from time to time, yeah. then you go, oh, well, OK. I guess we're all in this together. Yeah. I guess if they can do it, I can do it. And that can give you energy. That can give you strength, yeah. I think, to overcome. Well, and, and change your emotion. That would change – that would shift your emotion just by thinking – they're like you. We're all one big. We're in this together. Yeah. yeah. Man, Mark, you're like, you're the philosopher. You need to write a book. Oh, write a philosophy have, book. Can I dictate it? Yeah, I'm, sure. I'm a talker, not a writer. Yeah. Well, you know? we ought to just start recording. When I, when I start going clickety-clack, my fingers get tight in knots. Well, maybe next time use a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> it might go faster for you. Mark, wait. Go check out his, uh, his wonderful program with Don Shaline Through the Garage Door. That's the name of it. Just look it up on BYU Radio. Evenings, late it's, evenings. It's late evenings. It's it's one of those things that help you after the kids are in bed. The kids are in bed. It's not for children. <laughs> hey, this on is BYU, BYU Radio. Radio. Everything's for children on BYU Radio. We're gonna take a break. We're coming back. We're gonna wrap up the show. Maybe uh, what if we could just all go on a neat journey where we just escape and have this wonderful adventure? Maybe that's a way to deal with our emotions better. We're gonna go on an adventure when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. There's the hoedown music. That means we're wrapping up the show today. This is the Matt Townsend Show. As we wrap it up, uh, you know, I'm going on an adventure. It's going to be, I guess we'll call it a temporal, very physical adventure. I'm going on a cruise. So next week I won't be here, but we'll have awesome hosts that will be here to help you. Um, but, you know, I guess just to give everyone a chance, we, we, Jessica, we're calling her Jesse Jackson, is going to take us all on an emotional adventure. Yeah. So I'm going on a cruise adventure. You're going to take me right now as we wrap up the show on an emotional adventure. Yeah. Th- so if you've ever read the Goosebump books, it's like choose your own adventure. I haven't. 
Okay, well, you missed out, and now you're going to experience it. Okay, okay. Cool. I'm just going to jump right in. Okay, let's do it. And I choose. So we're I'm, we're going on an adventure, and I get to choose my path. Yes. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so after a pretty easy work week at work, you wake up Monday morning, and you're ready for the best cruise ever. I'm going. Yep, that's true. But wait, you're supposed to leave before the sunlight, and you realize your alarm didn't go off. In a panic, you look over to see your wife is missing too. Your first thought is she left without me. So in case, just in case, you yell out her name, but she doesn't answer. Oh, boy. So you originally had set apart an hour to get to the airport and an hour to get to your gate, but now you barely have enough time to drive there. You throw on whatever clothes you have, and you grab your luggage. Now, where's your wife? You you uh, try your cell phone, but she doesn't answer, and at this rate, no one's going on the cruise. So what are you going to do? You can go to the airport alone, wait for your wife, and keep trying your cell phone or leave a note and get out of there. I would wait for my wife. Okay, wait for your wife and keep trying your cell phone. Yes. So you take a seat in the living room and furiously call your wife's cell phone as fast as your phone will allow. Yes. Every time you get no answer. So five minutes later, she pulls up as if she doesn't have a care in the world. You run out of the car with your bags and jump in. You turn to her and ask, where the heck were you? She looks down sadly and points to the muffins and milk and says, I wanted to give you a good breakfast before we left. (laughs) But you can't change anything now, so you both rush to the airport. Okay. That was cute, though. So you're at the airport, and you're both kind of feeling awkward because that little encounter yeah, you just we had. Yeah, we just had a little yeah. problem. So um, when you first walk in, you see a long line for security. Yes. So you have to make another decision. You can divide and conquer. You check the bags, and she waits in security. Or stay together and check your bags or complain to a security agent. I do. I would, uh, I would divide and conquer. Okay, divide and conquer. That's what I do every time. So you decide to check the bags and you have your wife stay in the line. This definitely was the best option. Was it? Did I get to go? You get the bags sent and step right up to the agent oh, just in time. So you both break for the flight and make it just in time. Bon voyage. See, we were I was all stressed. Yeah. But I didn't need to be stressed. Actually, one of the options, you would have had a heart attack and died. So Really? <laughs> you escaped a I bullet. dodged a heart attack. Yeah. What, was, what would have led me to a heart? Was it my wife's muffins? No, just the anxiety of missing the flight. Oh. And I think you left her or something. See, Anyways. I'm more lazy. I would just, I would assume we're not going. Yeah. That was another option, but you dodged that bullet, too. Yeah. So, so I, oh, that's good. We're not done yet. Oh. So you're in Florida. You get on the boat. Everything's going good. Yeah. Um, and you decide to explore the boat. Uh-huh. And as you're looking, you go into the dining room, and there's a bunch of different food options. So yes. let's see what you're going to eat. Don't there's, eat raw food. There's Asian sushi and rice, no. Brazilian steak, or ice cream. I would go with the Brazilian steak. Okay, let's see what the Brazilian steak is. You couldn't have chosen a more tasty option. This is the best steak you've ever eaten. But just as you set your fork down stuffed like a pig, your stomach takes a lurch, and you feel extremely queasy. Oh, Oh, you got food poisoning. Oh, jeesh. Oh, man. You rush to the bathroom and stay there for two days. Oh, boy. So let's go to the next. That's one. a lot of that is a lot of bathroom time. But although you missed the phone? first part of your trip, okay, you end up having a blast. Cool. One night during one of the performances, you offer to be a volunteer because yeah. you're feeling so oh, yeah. good. I'd probably dance. And they take you up to the front of the show and they give you ten 
or a million dollars. One million dollars. Yeah, they gave you a million dollars, and because you love me, you yeah. gave ten thousand for my wedding present. No, that, but no, I just give you my book. Don't you, I'll just give oh. you my book. Okay. You don't need ten grand. Is that better than ten grand? That's good. That's great. <laughs> so, um, just as you think things couldn't get any more perfect, you hear your wife calling your name, and out of nowhere, a huge hand comes and slaps you in the face. Oh boy! You were startled awake. The whole thing was a dream. But it's the morning of your trip, so good luck. We wish you well. Man. Was that good? I don't know if that was – I don't know what I'm supposed to feel. See, we talked about emotions. Yeah. And well, that, that was a happy – you there, you, do, you dodged a lot of bullets. Well I, was, well, I know, but I don't even know the ones I dodged. I do know that I was sick for two days in yeah. the bathroom. Yeah, all of them had some bad And I'm stuff. not having Brazilian steak. I thought that was the one thing that was cooked. Yeah, I played this <laughs> game before the show, and I actually died from the heart attack. Yeah. You did? Yeah. It was that great. If you if someone left their wife, they're like, "Well, I'm just going on the cruise." <laughs> and they Does my wife have to slap me? Yeah, cuz you inevitable. were asleep. That's so. inevitable. Well, I imagine you're just, a tough sleeper. Just, well, can't she just whisper, "Sweetie, I don't think you'd wake up." Maybe you would. I don't uh, know you. Really. I've never slept with you. Well, thank you. <laughs> That's a good point. Yes. <laughs> and um so I don't know what to feel. I mean, well, I'm happy. I survived. That, that was, was happy. Good. Yeah, you but, were happy. But there's people that if we had Phil done James. this, if we had done this with James, he'd be how, dead. Then yeah, he would James emotionally be hurt. Yeah, and this like if you were stressed at the airport, yeah. you you handled it well. Did so. we handle? That's see, I've been to an, I've been to a lot of airports. I yeah. don't stress. I just get on my phone and I call my travel agent. I do. When me and my dad travel together, he stresses me out. That's the worst is when you travel with someone stressful. Yeah. Because then it's like this trip isn't even fun. I just hope I can go on it. Have but you have you traveled with your, your fiance? Yeah, we went to Cancun before his mission. <laughs> really? Yeah. So does he travel well? Yeah, he's so relaxed. I'm actually a worry wart like my dad. Do, right, so you, he's helping me though. But what's he? You know, you don't have to worry. But what's the worst thing that happens? Sometimes you miss it's your scary trip? when people don't worry enough. You know, because yeah. you're like, we might not make this flight. Are you? Is die. that getting? Like, is don't that you computing? care about what's happening? <laughs> so, but he's. It's a good balance because I worry too much and he doesn't. So this is your last chance to ask me for advice. Um. Yeah, well, I thought you were going to give me your book in ten thousand dollars, so that's all I really need I will to talk give you to you my about. Book, but um, <laughs> I, not ten thousand dollars. Yeah, let's see. Marriage advice. Um, is it true? I, I'm just wondering if all of this stuff people are telling me is true. About my grandma told me the other day on the phone. She's like, I don't know why you're so excited to cook and clean for somebody, and I'm like, Oh, no, but you know what? Oh. Yeah, that's not true. There, you won't have to cook and clean for him. <laughs> I won't. No, good. It'll be. Yeah, it's, I don't know. you tell me what's your if what's your marriage advice for somebody who's getting married. Here's this Doctor. is my advice for real. Um, and by the way, same thing with emotional stuff. Uh, your peace, your profits, your so your money, your positions in life. None of that will ever make you happy. I mean, your peace does not come from your money. It will not come from your partner. It will not come from making the boat or not, your peace comes from living your principles. Hmm. Boom. That's the advice I gave my wife. You can, you'll spend the rest of your life hoping and thinking your partner's the one that's supposed to bring you peace, and they can't bring you peace. Huh. That just, makes sense. They're just a person. What brings you peace is living your principles and staying connected and true to what matters most. Connected and true. So if I'm, if I'm like living a different way, then I won't be as happy. No. 
And if you keep thinking that he's the one that's supposed to make you happy, and he's the one that's supposed to, and the money's going to make us happy, and the new job's going to make us happy, and all these things are going to make us happy, it's not true. The reality is life keeps changing, but if you keep feeling the emotional stress, guess what? Part of that might simply be because we just got to remember the bigger picture. Go back to your God. Go back to your principles. Boom. Peace will be there. Or, you know, I guess it's not real. Our God, what he pretends to bring is in peace. But he will. If you'll just think about it, just like Mark Waite was talking about earlier, go to the bigger picture. Thanks for joining us. Good luck, Jess. You too on your cruise. I hope you don't get food poisoning. I won't. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Actually, we'll be back next week right here on Sirius XM.